This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Named the best podcast of 2018 by Apple. Tons of fascinating guests. Untold stories you won't hear anywhere else. Expand your wisdom and discover other perspectives that you've never considered before with The Jordan Harbinger Show. Join Jordan as he interviews high-profile people as well as intriguing personalities. Each episode features a discussion that might just take you anywhere. I recommend episode 970, where Jordan and guest Annie Jacobson talk nuclear annihilation. How likely is it? How scared should you be? And what comes after? There's also episode 886 with David Farina, which delves into the wacky world of flat earthers. These episodes are great starting points, but you're sure to find deep, interesting, and thought-provoking topics throughout Jordan's catalog. Turn off the music and turn up the wisdom with The Jordan Harbinger Show. We really enjoy this show and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. Check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R. Mitchell had heard about the monsters that lived outside the walls of Atlanta his whole life. But like any other kid, they fascinated him more than they scared him. He couldn't wait until he had the chance to finally see what was on the other side of the wall, hoping to catch a glimpse of them. What Mitchell didn't realize is you should be careful what you wish for because you may get more than you bargained for. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. Today we are discussing Vita Carnis, an original analog horror web video series. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes, too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram for information on future episodes. The world had been a scary place for as long as Mitchell could remember. When his grandfather was alive, he had told him stories about a time before the Second World War, when humans had been the scariest thing out there. But Mitchell had grown up in a world with monsters, and not the human kind. The Germans had been doing extremely radical experiments during the war, trying to produce weapons of all sorts. Rumors spread that they were trying to make biological weapons, but no one knew the extent until after the war, when the crawl began to spread. In the beginning, it looked like a veiny fungus, but when nodes began to grow on the veins, they would fall off and eventually turn into walking, breathing organisms. At first, they were just a scary nuisance, as the first ones were hideous, but small, 
and scavenged through trash bins, making messes, and then they progressively became larger. The larger ones were hungrier and craved a more protein-filled diet. Some just ate animals, but others craved human meat. Mitchell had seen a few of the larger ones out in the street from his bedroom window at night. Every once in a while, they would find their way over the barrier wall that surrounded Atlanta, built just to keep the predators out. The alarm had sounded late one night and woke him, just in time to see several of the armed patrol officers torch one of the human-looking ones, the ones they called Mimics. The creature made a terrible screaming sound as the flames engulfed its red body and burned away the clear skin that protected its muscles and organs. Mitchell had felt sorry for it, not yet understanding the danger it posed to the people within the city. His friend Chris had gotten one of the small ones as a pet for his birthday the year before. They were called trimmings and looked like a cat that had been skinned. Chris named it Thor, even though Mitchell didn't think the name was very fitting of such a small, annoying animal. He didn't understand the appeal. Even though the thing was docile, it was still gross and creepy looking. Every year, the school took the fifth grade class to tour the wall that surrounded the city. They would learn how it was built and how it worked to keep them safe. He was really hoping they would catch a glimpse of a meat snake or a mimic. A meat snake was another smaller one that looked like a large bloody worm. A mimic would be cooler though because they were much scarier than a big bloody worm. Mitchell was thinking about all of this as he toyed with his food on his plate. He wondered if there was some way to sneak out of the city and see what all was really out there. He had been born within these walls and had never been allowed to leave. At 10 years old, his imagination was running away with him and he had an overwhelming desire to see the world. He wondered if the stories the adults told them were maybe exaggerated to keep the young ones in check. Mitchell, stop playing with your food and eat. His mother's words snapped him out of his thoughts. What are you daydreaming about? She asked from across the table as she looked at him curiously. It usually isn't good when you're in deep thought. I was just thinking about the field trip tomorrow to the wall. I wonder if we'll get to see a mimic. That would be so cool he said in wonder. Well, I hope not, she replied. Those things are dangerous, and who knows what they're capable of these days. Mitchell quickly finished off his dinner so that he could get away from his mother's questions and negative attitude. Once he was excused, he ran to his room and shut the door. One day, he would see what's out there, whether she liked it or not. The next day was sunny and warm, perfect weather for a field trip. Mitchell's mother made him take his jacket, even though he argued that he didn't need it. When he got to school, he shoved it in his locker and left it there. Chris was already lined up getting ready to board the school bus when Mitchell found him. Hey, save me a seat, he said as he passed Chris and walked to the end of the line. The bus was packed by the time he got on but Chris had saved him a seat next to him. Mitchell slid in beside him and they immediately started discussing everything they hoped to see and do that day. They both agreed that they hoped to see a mimic or maybe even a harvester. A harvester looks like a giant pod and has tentacles that wrap around its prey to kill it. 
Wouldn't it be so cool to see one wrapped around a deer or something? Like in that video they showed us at school? Mitchell asked Chris excitedly. Chris scrunched up his nose. I don't know if I could watch it hurt a deer, but it would be cool to see one. Dad says that we're going to the same area of the wall where he found Thor. Chris said, changing the subject. He said he had found a way to squeeze through one of the security gates. Just then, the bus pulled into the parking lot across the street from the wall. It was so much bigger up close. Mitchell had never been this close before. After they filed off the bus, the teachers gave them a lecture on manners and following the rules before escorting them across the street. Once across, they were met by a man in a police uniform. He looked important, and soon enough he introduced himself as the chief of their district. He told them all of the boring details about the wall, and then gave them a brief history on when and why it was built. Mitchell just wanted him to hurry so they could start the tour. As if on cue, he suddenly said, If you follow me, I'll take you up top so you can get a look from there. He led them through a door where there were offices and computer screens showing different angles of the wall from the outside. He stopped long enough to explain to the kids that the control room was used to keep an eye on things without having to be outdoors. He then led them down a hallway to the stairs. We could take the elevator, but since there are so many of us, this will be faster, he told them as he started up. At the top of the wall, they gathered around and looked over the edge. What they saw surprised and fascinated the kids and the teachers. Down at the bottom of the wall, there were hundreds of creatures of various sizes. They all resembled humans, but lacked the covering of skin over their muscles, tissue, and organs. They had wide, toothy mouths that looked like macabre smiles, and each one had large, bulging black eyes. Some of them were just standing there, staring at the wall, Others were clawing as if they were trying to find a way to climb up. Why are they doing that? Mitchell asked the chief. They want to eat, and the wall is the only thing keeping them away from their food, the chief answered. Where is their food? Mitchell asked next. Right here, the chief stated matter-of-factly. We are their food. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play with my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today.
on iOS and Android. Vita Carnies is an original analog horror web video series by artist Darian Quilloy on YouTube, an artist who draws monstrous creatures and other horror stuff. His creation, Vita Carnies, is another popular example of internet or contemporary folklore. Analog horror is a found footage subgenre created by horror web originals. As the name implies, it frequently involves video that has been altered to appear to be from the days of analog media in the late 20th century, such as VHS tapes, FM radio, cathode ray tube televisions, and so on. In contrast to most recovered footage, there are frequently few to no characters. Rather, the film is meant to look like a regular television broadcast, random documentary, or etc. With the horror coming from the tape being altered, hijacked, or casually recounting some supernatural phenomenon. These videos are often less than 10 minutes long, begin mundanely, then become increasingly strange or scary. The Vita Carney series is set in a timeline in which a branching fleshy organism, known commonly as the crawl, was discovered in 1931. In the decades since, the world appears to have adjusted to this new addition, to the natural world even incorporating much of it into their daily lives. Of course, the crawl isn't completely safe. It occasionally produces odd animals from its branches, and of course, there appear to be some additional aspects to it that the world powers are not disclosing to the people. The series has an alternate history to the history that we know, where the crawl appeared on Earth in the early 1930s, and since that time, the humanity and the world in general seems to have adjusted in the years that followed. The first species in the chain of creatures documented on the video is the crawl, and all other creatures are produced from this fungus-like creature. The crawl resembles thick, veiny structures that grow like plants or fungi in almost any type of environment. It can apparently be used as a meat substitute in many diets. The crawl is described as a meaty tendril that closely resemble the small intestines that grow in a similar pattern as vines, mold, and fungi. A primary stem structure is the host to divisions of other smaller branches, and each tendril contains a variety of veins, arteries, and other similar organs used to transport nutrients absorbed from its surroundings. They can be found anywhere around the globe, as they are capable of surviving in any environment. Now, the crawl itself isn't dangerous, but the creatures that it spawns are more threatening to life. Sometimes in a crawl-populated area, a node of meat may develop on one of the branches. This node will fall off and grow into an independent functioning organism. These creatures are made of muscle, tissue, organs, and bones. They resemble mammals without skin or raw meat. They consume organic material, mainly flesh of other animals. Carnies, as they're called in the video, developed from crawl-populated areas. The first of the carnies to be discussed in the video are called the trimmings. Trimmings are small animals that resemble skinned raccoons. They are described as having a plump, round body, a small, round head, beady eyes, nose and ear holes, and a gaping mouth. They are also equipped with a diversity of multiple limbs. Each trimming is unique each with a different body shape, number of limbs, and other characteristics. Their one common trait is that they are made mostly of meat tissue 
and are a maximum of 20 centimeters in length, no larger than a basketball. Even though the trimmings are omnivores, able to eat any organic matter, they are almost entirely scavengers. Their diets consist of rotting plants and meat. Although its appearance is disturbing to look upon, it's a cowardly, non-aggressive creature. A trimming will screech, flee, and hide when threatened. Because of its lack of defensive traits, it lies at the bottom of the food chain. But even though it is easily prey for larger, more aggressive animals, because the crawl continually produces them, trimmings are not in danger of extinction. Some people even keep them as pets. The next species on the carny list is the meat snake. The meat snake is a worm-like creature made of a variety of types of meat covered in a transparent skin-like membrane coating that acts as a brain and nervous system. The meat snake's size varies during its lifespan according to the documentary style video. Its size largely depends on how much it consumes. It's only a few centimeters in length when it first separates from the crawl, but will grow to an average length of five meters. Under extreme conditions, such as natural disaster, war, and plague, where its food supply increases, it can greatly surpass the average length. The meat snake's diet consists entirely of dead animals, being incapable of consuming a healthy living organism. The meat snake locates its food by using its tongue, which is covered in sensors that it uses to touch and feel its environment. The sensors catch particles of decaying meat, notifying the creature that there's food nearby. Once the meat snake locates the corpse, it will open its mouth wide and swallow the body whole. Once the entire body is consumed, a variety of chemicals is released inside the stomach, breaking down soft tissue first, and then whatever remains is preserved by other chemicals for as long as possible. The remaining flesh will be absorbed and implemented into the creature's own structure. Unsatisfactory parts such as the skull, pelvis bones, hair, and nails will be excreted. On some occasions, the meat snake will take the skull of the consumed organism and use it as its own. The more a meat snake consumes, the longer it will live, with the longest lifespan on record said to be 28 years. The meat snake has no predators and is said to be immune to disease due to its preserving chemicals. The only way that one can die is through starvation, burning, or complete destruction of its outer membrane coating. The meat snake is the only member of the carny species to be able to reproduce. When it reaches an excessive size and is in the right conditions, it will commence mitosis, splitting itself in two. Each half will go on to live as independent organisms. Meat snakes can only be found in moderate temperature climates, free of excessive heat or cold. Meat snakes have been utilized in this alternate world by humans to dispose of meat products. They're used in butcher shops to get rid of roadkill and battlefields. The next creature to be listed in this video is the Mimic. The Mimic is described as a bipedal creature with uncanny similarities to human beings. To be precise, they resemble humans without skin. They have some exaggerated features, such as extended finger length, longer limbs, bulging empty eyes, and a wide tooth-filled smile which isn't actually a smile. The mimic has many more teeth than humans, comprised mostly of incisors with canines and premolars in the back, which is said to better help them bite down onto meat 
and swallowing chunks whole. A mature mimic's diet consists completely of human flesh, and because of this, they are found solely around human-populated areas. Full-grown mimics will use objects such as furniture to hide and hunt its prey, learning their routine and habits. They usually only attack at night while the human is asleep. If the human is awake, he will use a variety of sounds to cause the human to hide until they have caused themselves to be cornered. The mimic may later morph into a more human-like appearance the more it feeds, giving it the ability to hide among its prey and it can catch them more effectively. If it gets an excessive amount of food, its humanoid features will fade, become larger, darker, and stronger. It will become a more evolved hunter. It will grow a thick, dark coating of a flexible skin allowing mobility and protection. The face will become coated in a pale, opaque skin, and the mimic's teeth will move deeper into its throat, causing it to appear to have a large, toothless smile. It uses the dark hue of its skin to hide seamlessly within a dark environment. Its skills will also heighten, making it one of the most efficient predators on the planet. Because of its danger to humanity, world governments have released documents instructing individuals on how to defend themselves from the mimics. 1. Avoid going out alone if your location is known to have mimic sightings. 2. If you encounter a stationary mimic, seemingly unfazed by your presence. Quietly leave the location and alert your local authorities. Three, if pursued by a mimic, get yourself into a position where you are able to flee. They will rarely track a person that has a convenient escape route. Four, in the event that you have been cornered by a mimic, roll into the fetal position using your arms to protect your neck and vital organs. Make as much noise as you can to alert other people. Five, if you have a weapon, don't use it. It will not be effective. Six, in a situation where a mimic is hunting in the area but not aware of your presence, hide in a low area, such as under a bed or behind furniture. A mimic will not linger when it cannot find its prey. The next carny species discussed is the harvester, which cannot give chase, but is equally as dangerous and disturbing. The harvester is a large bulbous mass with a large number of tendrils spreading from the base. The bulb measures around 3 meters in height and 2 meters in diameter. The tendrils, however, can extend up to 150 meters. The harvester is a specialized kind of crawl that grows in a unique and deadly way. It's created when a node, instead of separating from the crawl, it continues to grow, eventually growing tendrils of its own. It uses the tendrils hidden below the surface of the ground to paralyze and capture its prey. The tendrils have spines that inject two types of venom. The first, a neurotoxin that causes paralysis. The other, an anticoagulant to prevent blood cells from clotting. Whenever a large animal moves across the area armed with these tendrils, the tendrils will grab it and inject the venom. The prey will bleed out, and the second set of tendrils will branch out and absorb the spilled blood. Once it's consumed, the tendrils will wrap around the body and slowly pull it under the ground where it absorbs the remains. The harvester sting has no cure and fatality is 100%, so you should avoid it at all costs. Up next is the host of influence, which is more commonly referred to as the host. It is a fairly humanoid type of creature, 
It has the structure of a head, torso, and arms. The lower half is composed of a mass of fibrous tissues and tendrils that grow into the ground to hold the host in place. Instead of skin, it's covered in muscular tissue, tendons, and veins. The host's head has a smooth surface, where the face should be attached to a crooked neck with a slit for a mouth in it. On its back, the host has hollow hair-like structures protruding from large pores. They extend outwards and are barrels that release spores that are produced within the host's body and fired into the air. These spores are hazardous, so keep a safe distance. The host is extremely rare, only found in North America. Obtaining information about the host is very risky because of its toxicity. The spores released by host, when inhaled, will find their way into the organism's brain and infect them, causing migraines, restlessness, sluggish movement, and change in behavior and thought process. If you or someone you know show these symptoms, call poison control. After six to seven hours of exposure, the infected will walk back towards the host that infected them. If they make their way to the host, they will kneel down in front of it, and the host will promptly gut and remove their organs. The host will consume them and discard the leftover scraps. If the infected organism doesn't reach the host, and 36 hours has passed, and or is treated for the infection, the effects will wear off, and the organism will return to normal. If a host is unable to find prey or doesn't like its current location, it can uproot its tendrils and move to a different area. Next are the monoliths, a very new creature. There are only seven of them and very little is known about them. What is known is that there are seven and they showed up in a circular position. They are titanic in size, measuring roughly 120 meters in height and have two large trunk-like legs that are firmly embedded underground. The legs connect to a torso. The creature itself is made up of hundreds of thousands of meaty strands, tightly woven together to form the structure. These strands end at the neck, where they fuse to form an upside-down triangle with a hole in the center in place of a head. On each side of the monolith, where arms would be, there are dozens of rope-like appendages that reach just barely to the ground. The monoliths seem to stand and do nothing, but were recorded once to be extremely aggressive. Not much is known about the incident, except that it released an EMP blast and that long-distance rockets were not successful in causing permanent harm, for they regenerate quickly. Last of all is the Singularity, an orb comprised of a dark-colored mineral. It's one meter in diameter. The singularity can be found suspended in air by an unseen force. Very little is known about this entity. All information has been kept secret by officials. Mitchell's eyes grew large. My mom told me that was a myth. He replied to the chief suspiciously. She said they eat deer and other large animals. That's why you kids are here today. The chief continued, When kids get old enough, they must learn the truth about the carnies. Some of them will eat any meat, fresh, rotten, animal, or human. But mimics, when mature, only eat human meat. Because there are so many of them, their threat to humankind is growing daily. And we have to teach young men and women how to defend our city and homes against them. 
Mitchell looked down to the bottom of the wall again and swallowed hard. He watched as one of the larger ones looked right up at him, pushed a smaller one down, and tried to climb up the wall. It made it up a few feet and then fell back down to the ground and let out an angry howl. There's a lot for you kids to learn, so we've set up a video on the movie screen in the conference room. If you will follow me, I will take you there before we complete the tour. The conference room was full of kids, and by the end of the video, a few of them were crying. The film had been called Vita Carnis, Living Meat. It explained the assumed origin of the crawlers, the creatures it produced, where they could be found, and how to avoid and kill them. Mitchell wasn't sure he believed everything he had just heard. His curiosity was running wild. After the video, they were led to a large research lab with several different species of carnies in glass cages where they were being studied and experimented on. He was standing next to Chris when he saw two armed guards wheeling an empty glass cage out of the lab. He nudged Chris with his elbow and motioned for him to follow. They made sure no one was looking as they slipped through the door where the two guards had just disappeared. Mitchell and Chris found themselves in a dimly lit hallway with signs that read, Caution, Authorized Personnel Only. But that didn't keep them from sneaking further. They continued down the hall until they saw a large overhead door that caught their interest. It had two buttons beside it, a red one and a green one. Mitchell looked at Chris questioningly. And Chris said, I dare you. Without hesitation, Mitchell reached up and pressed the green button. The boys simultaneously jumped when an alarm began going off loudly, alerting them to the opening of the door, which had begun to rise. They could hear the sound of boots hitting the floor, as guards were running in their direction from somewhere down the hallway. Both boys panicked and ducked through the overhead door to run and hide but they immediately found themselves outside the wall, surrounded by dozens of the hungry creatures they had seen earlier. Quickly, they turned and ran back inside, almost crashing into several armed men with their guns raised. They were surprised that the men paid them no attention, but instead ran towards the open door. One of them reached to hit the red button, but before his hand could connect, one of the mimics had him by the throat. The boys watched in horror, as it raised him into the air and used its other hand like a bladed scoop, reaching into his stomach and disemboweling him with little effort. The boys screamed in horror as they watched the man's insides fall into a wet, bloody mass on the floor. The creature dropped his limp body, kneeled, and started feasting on its kill. More of the creatures began pouring in through the open door as Chris and Mitchell turned to flee. The boys could hear gunfire and then the screams of the men they had left behind. Alarms began to blare all around them and flashing lights lit the hallway in strobes of blue and red. They made it back to the lab, but everyone was gone. The building was being evacuated. They ran as fast as they could and just made it as their schoolmates were getting on the bus. Everyone seemed confused about why they were being rushed out of the building. Mitchell and Chris looked at each other and unspokenly agreed to keep quiet about what had just happened. The boys stayed quiet as the bus drove them back to school. They didn't even speak to each other again. 
Mitchell's mom was there to pick him up and take him home. It was early and he felt like something was off, not to mention she seemed nervous. Once they were in the car alone, Mitchell asked her if something was wrong. The city's on high alert, she explained. They've called for an immediate curfew for the next 24 hours. But why? He asked innocently. Even though he was afraid, he knew the answer. Guilt was making his stomach ache for what he and Chris had done earlier and for what it had caused. They say there was a breach and that more than a dozen mimics made it across the wall. They'll have to do a sweep of the city. In the meantime, it's safer if everyone remains indoors. Mimics are very good at hiding when they hunt, so it could take a while for them to flush them all out, she continued to explain. I'm scared, Mom, he told her almost in a whimper. It's okay. This has happened once before, she reassured him. But what if they're wrong? What if it's more than a dozen? He asked. Mitchell had seen those creatures pouring in, and there had to have been a lot more than that. No matter how many got in, we'll be safe inside our home until they kill every last one of them, she said softly. They pulled into the drive. Mitchell got out and followed his mom closely to the front door. When she went to unlock the door, it swung open. That's weird. I know I was in a hurry, but I could have sworn I locked it, she said, and then shrugged it off and went inside, with Mitchell on her heels. She went through the house, making sure every window and door was locked, even though they were all reinforced with bars. Mitchell went to his room and switched on his computer. He wanted to message Chris and see if he had heard anything. He only had to wait a few minutes before Chris answered and his face popped up on the screen. Hey, what have you heard? Mitchell asked quickly. Not much. My parents are acting very secretive. They locked the house down and told me... Chris stopped suddenly, and a strange look came over his face. Told you what? Mitchell asked. He watched as Chris's face began to shift from concern to terror. Mitchell, there... There's something. There's something behind you. His voice was shaking as he said it. And then suddenly, he began to scream. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts such as Destination Terror and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is... C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram for information on future episodes. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.